Hi, my name is Tyson, and this is Social Distancing. Episode 8, The Other Side of Boredom. This is my friend Tyson. Tyson Matzenbacher is a singer, songwriter, and all-around great guy who lives in San Diego, California. Tyson's first record, Letters to Love Lost, from 2016, came in the aftermath of losing his mother to cancer. He walked 600 miles down the West Coast, from Washington to San Francisco, and the songs of that experience shaped a major part of that record. His newest record, Someday I'll Make It All Up to You, was released on February 14th. Of this year. It was supposed to be supported by a national tour until it wasn't. Yeah, well, we were. It's, it's actually really funny in retrospect because Tyler Chester, who produced the record, and I, we talked a lot about when to, when to release it. And we had it done. I mean, it was done probably around, you know, it was done over a year ago. So it would have been done like in March or April of 2019. And so we could have released it that summer, but summer is a hard time to release music and you usually want to release stuff at the beginning of a year instead of at the end of the year. And once you get into October, you're basically in the holidays. So we were just like, well, we should just wait and put it out in early 2020. And then, yeah, in retrospect, that was a, that was a pretty bad idea because, <laughs> because we got a hit with this virus, which is pretty crazy. But I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's like people can still listen to music and if they find it when they're at home, it's, you know, it just, it just means that we have to push touring back for a while, which is okay. But, you know, we put a lot of time, a lot of energy into making this record. And it does feel like it's it's one of those things where, like, we knew we actually knew it was going to be hard to publicize the record this year because of the just because of the elections. And so, like, elections aside, it was like, oh, I didn't even realize, like, the elections, it was going to be hard for them to talk about those because of this other thing that nobody knew was coming. It's a pretty wild process. But I, I mean, I hope that people still found it and people still enjoyed it. And, um, you know, obviously, we still have a lot more life left in it. And, um, we'll get back. We'll be able to get back out on the road. But even just kind of the moment that we realized what was happening, you know, we even like halfway through the tour, we still thought that everything was going to be fine. We thought we were going to be able to finish the tour at least. How long was the tour supposed to go? Uh, it was a little under two months. So, but I mean, that was our time out. It wasn't that many shows. It was like maybe 35 shows or something. But um, yeah, we were, I think we were about, we were just about two thirds of the way through when we got the phone call. So oh, tell me about the phone call. Well, actually what happened was we were in Minneapolis and it was starting to get pretty crazy, but we were all just kind of like, well, like, you know, who knows what'll happen. And then um, I was out in Minneapolis and I just got an email from, I got an email from ASCAP. ASCAP is the American Society for Composers, Authors, and Producers. It's a performing rights organization that protects music copyrights for musicians and makes sure they get paid when their music is played. The email said that AEG and Live Nation, who are the two biggest promoters in the world, this is they cancel all events. And I got that email, like just, I was, I think I was like at a coffee shop in Minneapolis and I was like, wait a minute, like that's, those are our promoters. Like that's hmm. <laughs> like, I know we have at least a handful of AEG shows on this and I know we have a handful of Live Nation shows. 
So I was like, well, does that mean that our tour is canceled? And Washington, D.C. had just canceled the day before. So we were just we were just getting word out to go, hey, guys, like we're going to postpone the D.C. show. And then that next day it was like, and then I called Caleb from Colony House. And I was like, hey, did you see this email? He was like, no. And so neither, like we both got the word through an email from like to everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> And then, uh, and we were just both of us were just like, oh my gosh, what? And then, and then Caleb called his manager and I called my manager and we got on the phone with our booking agents and they were all just like, yeah, everything's, everything is over. Like it's all done. They're like we're going to postpone it. But that moment we're both, you know, I mean, I was like on the bus with the Kalanias guys and we were just like, what? This is insane. Is that like the first time it really hit you that like it was, it was more than just like something you saw in the news? That was the first time that I was like, this is for real. And that was the first day. I just remember I was like, it was super cold in Minneapolis and like all the, everybody in the bar, like they were all, it was the start of spring break for the colleges out there. Mm. So all the bars were like prepping for a big rush of people. And, but then everybody was also getting these, this news that like we were probably gonna have to quarantine nationally. And, and I was just like, I just like went skateboarding around Minneapolis in the cold, like trying to wake up, like trying to like get my bearings and just thinking like, Oh, this is, this, this is it. Like, this is a huge thing. This is, we don't come back from this in the same way, you know, like this is, and I mean, even like talking to friends where they were like, Oh, it's fine. I still have my job and everything. I was like, well, like, like those of us that were out on the road or whatever doing it, it was like, it felt like we kind of got it first. Like we were like mm-hmm. for some of the first people that felt like how big of a deal it was or like, you know, my booking agent who's calling me saying that like all of the offices in Nashville and LA of people that are booking shows and festivals, they're just like, they all are just like drinking at 10 in the morning, you know, <laughs> because like booking agents from Paradigm getting laid off, like for good. And just like these things are being like this industry, you know, the entertainment industry is just like, it, it, it screeched to a halt, you know, like entertainment kind of drives culture in a way too. It's like, it always feels like that's kind of like where you know things come from. So I was like, man, this is just, this is a big deal. Like I don't, it's I don't really know what it means, but that was quite a strange day. And then we drove home. Then we drove. So then we drove from Minneapolis to Chicago, Chicago to Nashville. And then my, uh, the guy was playing keys with me and uh, we got in the van and drove the van back uh, across the U S like we drove from Nashville to San Diego to come back home. And it was just like, yeah, it was, that was like, it was a week that I will never forget. It was one of those moments that like, it felt like it was from a movie for sure or from something else. People. And, and, and I mean, that was the other thing that was crazy about that drive back was that none of us knew how much money we lost. Because, you know, when you plan a tour, you plan it for a certain number of shows. And it's like, so I knew we lost money. I knew everybody lost money, but I didn't know how much money we lost. So it was even like, I didn't know how bad or, or you know, how bad it was going to be in that drive home where I was like, man, did we all like, did, did we all just lose our shirts? Like, is this, is this something that we don't come back from? You know, like, well, who knows if that's possible? What has been like a surprising moment of joy through all of this? Have you experienced anything that surprised you? One of the gifts of this time is that like, I think that myself or like a lot of us, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, like Wendell Berry says that you shouldn't tax yourself with the forethought of grief. Like you shouldn't like try to assume all the ways that things can go wrong. But when things are more or less known, what we can do is we can just like, things are all this. It's like, well, nothing's going to change the trajectory, right? Like nothing's going to change the trajectory of my life uh, or the trajectory of my th- of the things that are happening. And so I can just follow that little, you know, that, that arc and, and then find every single thing that's going to go wrong along the way. And it's just like, you know, I, in some ways, like the sureness of normal life is a huge uh, source of anxiety because like, you know, you, you know, more or less like this is how it's going to go. And then uh, there's all these things that are daunting along the way. And, and and what this did for me was that it just put this giant, like giant cloud 
that was like and and by cloud I mean like something that I could see through at all. That was like mm. three to six months away from where I was. And it was the first moment in years for me where I was able to say, like, man, I don't even know what's on the other side of that cloud. Like I don't know if we have a music business on the other side of that cloud. I mean, I'm sure we will, but like it's gonna look a whole lot different. Yeah, I don't know if people are gonna tour. I like what does this mean? Like for, do I still make records after this? Do I like it was all a complete question mark and so i couldn't go along the trajectory of the things that i'd set into place and find all the ways that it was going to go wrong because i didn't know i didn't know anything i didn't know what it was going to look like at all and so it forced me to be completely and totally in a moment like it forced me to be in this three to six months i was like man this is where i am and nothing can really go very right or very wrong in this six months at least like as right or as wrong as like all of the things that are terrible that we all know that are happening it's like i could get sick you know people that i love could could die of this which is like a terrible thought but that's that you really don't have any control over that you know the economy could tank don't really have any control over that it was like this first moment of complete like letting go of my control over the future and it was it was beautiful man like i mean you know i got on the like i got on the beach pretty much every night and watch the sun go down and like the streets are empty and all the tourists are gone and you know there's a big hill by my house that always has a lot of cars on it and it's open and i can just skateboard down it <laughs> and you know, there's this like art district where there's always a lot of people wearing really expensive sunglasses and uh, I can just go there and walk down the street and nobody's there. And it's like it's it's been one of the most centering times for me in my in my life, definitely in my adult life, just because the unknown is so complete that mm. it has like required me to live inside of the live inside of it. So in that sense, it's been that's good. I think that like the fear of the unknown is always apparent and at least in this one it, it felt the other nice thing about it too is i remember like when i was in college like one of my professors told me he was like he's like your generation is broken because it needs a war like that's what he told me he's like people people need to fight for something and if they don't fight for something then they'll fight with each other he's like you know all the other generations had their war and you guys don't have a war what we what we were talking about is like someday we're gonna we're gonna be post-war and we're gonna have to find a way to fight for something together that isn't so tribalist like mm. fight for something that isn't just another you know nameless group of people that someone that's not the enemy you know and for me this is the first moment where i was like man for all these years watching people tear each other apart on twitter over things that are completely you know nominal it's like oh in some ways like we all have we have an enemy again we can all agree on it it's like the first thing in my lifetime that i know of that everyone's kind of agreed kind of agreed on was bad or was the enemy and it wasn't a person and that that also is good you know, that's me being an optimist in the face of like, you know, lots of people dying and people's families being torn apart and the stock market eating everybody's 401ks and whatnot. But I think that like when you get an exceptional situation in your lifetime, you know, I guess like, isn't that kind of what we all want? It's like something that's exceptional. Like, I don't want to just like float through it and die. In some ways, it's like this is a moment to be grasped for all of its good and all of its bad. And, and I think that like that's kind of where I'm going. That's where I'm kind of coming from with it. When I think about your first record, you know, that came out of a time of grief and unknown. For you, it seems ironic that uh, your second record, although it didn't intentionally happen this way, is also kind of in that in a season like that, too. Do you think these sorts of moments, these element of having an unknown or having a, as you kind of described it, a cloud where you don't know what the next few months are going to look like, do you see that as being a place where creativity happens, where you're not so focused on the business, you're not so focused on what's going to happen to my industry or what's going to happen to my future, that you're, you're really introspective and you're really imagining art in that way. Do you see any parallels there? 
Yeah. There's a song on the first record on my first record called The Passage. It's the last song on the record and it's about it's about this trip that I took when I was I think I was like twenty one or something and I went I took the ferry from Seattle to Alaska. It's like a four day ferry trip and you can camp on the deck of the boat and stuff. I met this guy on the ferry. He's the one that told me about this idea, which is what that song's about, which is like in between times. It's like the you know, like there's a in um you know the Chronicles of Narnia and the Magician's Nephew. There's a place called the Wood Between the Worlds. It's like this place where all, there's all these ponds, and it's where you it's the connecting place between all the different worlds. Like you can jump in the pond, and that'll send you to a new world. But there's this in between place called the Wood Between the Worlds. And they say that like uh, you know the, the, one of the characters says that like time you can't sense time passing when you're in the Wood Between the Worlds, and like. If you sat down, you would just be there forever. What this guy on the boat told me was that he, so basically this guy, like he was a watercolor painter and he had, you know, he had, I think he was like a pretty big deal, but he, yeah, uh, yeah, he had, you know, he had these big galleries in New York and LA and stuff. And, um, but what he did is that he said like, you know, all moments of clarity or like moments of like transcendence or like being able to see your life as a holistic entity they always happen in between in the in between and he said like that's why that's why people cry on airplanes it's like it's like why the american road trip is a, you know it's a rite of passage and so what he did is that he went on he basically he got on this ferry and he would just paint the mountains like in this he'd sit in this lawn chair and paint the mountains onto three by five cards like he was mm. he wasn't painting on like on big like you know canvases he was painting on three by five cards and and then he said he's like i'm trying to find places i'm trying to capture the in between and take it home with me so that i can so that I can paint it more fully or whatever. And that guy, like he said five or six things to me that I'll never forget, but that that thing in particular, which is this idea of like the in-between and the clarity that comes from it and the rarity of it like as an entity, like it's so rare that we actually are truly in-between. And that time when I was like, when I was walking across California after my mom died, when I wrote that first record and then now, those are two of the, at least in my adult life, I think when you're a kid, you have them all the time, like you have summer break, you know, that's like an in-between. But when you get older, they are rarer and rarer. And I think that so much, like so much beauty, so much art, so much clarity and like that, like firm grasp upon your life and the world, that it all comes from those moments of being like, I'm not here and I'm not there. Um, and so that's what I think this is. And I think that's what that was for me too. Both records were, I guess one of them came right after one and one of them came right before, but same idea. What kind of songs are you writing now? Like what, are, what's, uh, like, are these songs that you've kind of had in, uh, like in the notebook for a while? Is it just new stuff that's uh, kind of just coming from this sense of, of in between again what's what kind of themes are you pulling from here i mean the things that i write about tend to be thematic they tend, they tend to be like uh i write about change a lot and i write about the past a lot and i write about you know, i write about god a lot and i write about our struggles with the infinite um those are all things that i think i'll probably always write about but yeah right now i'm just like trying to just write about like just very honestly from the place that i am in which is like a time of of transition I, I read this thing the other day this kid was like somebody had some like article about my record and it was like his lyrics seem so simple um but they're actually like there's actually a lot more to them and i, and I was like <laughs> i was kind of laughing at, at this review because i was like well that's like you know everything everything that's like really has a lot of meaning it comes in simple words you know it comes like it has to there's nothing bigger like there's nothing bigger than the smallest things and there's nothing more complicated than the most simple things you know like heartbreak like the most complicated thing there is you're like somebody that just got their heart broken and you're like and they're talking to you for hours and hours and hours and you're like dude like she didn't like you it's the simplest thing in the world and it's like but to this person it's the most complicated thing in the world there's so many different avenues around it and so like that's i think that what i what i'm trying to do or like someone said to me one time that academia is the is the act of making a simple thing complicated and art 
is the act of taking something complicated and making it simple. Huh. I like that. I liked it too. And I, I'm not, I mean like, you know, academia is super important. You have to like pick those simple things apart to like understand them more fully. But like, I think that's really what it is. I want to like, I want to be able to take all of the, like the giant fog of confusion that's for me personally and for us collectively and to try to find a way to like write about it in the most simple terms. I, you may get asked this a lot. What's your favorite song that you've ever written? Man, that's a good question. Um, I really, there's, I wrote a song called Always on my first record that I really like because that one was, that one, I wrote that song like 12 minutes and it's just vivid for me. It's one of those where I like the other songs, I know, I know too much about them. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's not true for all of them. I know the songs I wrote that way too, but like, I think Always just popped out of nowhere. It came out of the mist. And every time I play that song, I'm sort of like overwhelmed by it with wonder by it because I don't understand it. It reminded me the morning. Light from the snow. But it's vivid. It's like such a vivid song to me. And the way that it turned out in the studio too, I just like my friend Mike Adele, who produced that record, he I remember I took that song to him and he was I was like, I don't know what to do with this and he was like, I do. And he, he did know. Like he he found the rest of the song. So it's like always is one of the songs that I feel like I have the least ownership of. I feel like it it kind of found me. And so I'll always love it that song. It must be a family of spiders, but it's the same spider comes every like every summer to our house. And it's one of these spiders that like it weaves a, a giant web every day and then takes it down again. It's the craziest thing in the world because like this web, I'm not even kidding. It'll be like six feet long. It's this huge web and it's beautiful. It's like super intricate and you can see him like you can see he's a big spider. You can see him in there like kind of pulling the like pulling the web to attach it to itself and stuff. And he works all day. He works half the day putting it up and then uh he sits there when the sun goes down and catches some moths and then he takes it back down again or mm. she does i guess it would be a lady spider that to me is a little bit how it always feels it's like this thing i'm like like i'm like man this like spider web of like you're just putting it out like this extremely like like this incredibly fragile thing and you're putting it out there to try to catch something that's really large and even like I thought about this before, but like, you know, you can never do the same thing twice. So I was like, if if you made, if anybody made the same record twice, it'd be like night and day different. Like you wouldn't even recognize it because they just sort of find themselves. You know, it's like you put this little part down and that makes you think of another thing. And then you make that. And it's like, there's no, it's just, it's incredible. Like how, especially with music. I mean, I think it's the same with any art, but it's like the actual fragility and the miracle of its existence is always super fascinating to me. What advice do you have to people who are sitting at home? They've been there for you know, some of them for a bit, several weeks now, and they're they're isolated. They're 
feeling anxious. They don't know when they get to leave their house again. What advice do you have to those people who are practicing social distancing right now? Man, well, I mean, I think it would be sort of hypocritical for me to do that because we're all in the same boat. So to such an extreme extent. But one thing that I do believe is that I think of that boredom is like the answer. I think that boredom is the answer to like so many things. I was thinking about this the other day about how like meditation is probably like the most boring thing you could ever do. If you think about boring, right? Like the most possible boring thing that you could do would be just like sit and completely like empty your brain or like just to completely be. It's because like at a certain point, like, you know, you can only be so bored. And then on the other side of it, it's like a whole world of new colors. And I've actually found that for myself. This is a place that we go in Mexico all the time. It's like, it's basically like a hut, a couple huts on a nice left-hand point break. And there's nothing to do there. It's like you can surf in the morning and then the wind comes. And then, you know, from 11 a.m. until, you know, it gets dark, you you, there's, you can't do anything. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no TV. There's no anything. And the first like three or four days that you're there, you just feel like you're dying. You're like, oh my gosh, it's only 1 p.m. Like, what am I doing? And you just like, you feel like you're just like, suffocating on boredom and then the fourth day like things start to come alive it's pretty amazing it's like i was actually thinking about this yesterday it's like just this last week i'm i I got to a place where i was like i don't have enough hours in the day right now like i was like i'm watching these master classes that i did and i have this new book and i'm trying to write a thing and i've got this like this weird orchestral thing i bought a cello and i'm trying to learn how to play the cello and i like and i'm doing this like 90s hip-hop project with this kid from seattle that i met and it's like all these different little things that i found because i was bored i would have never done them but i think that like you have to forgive yourself you have to like not try i think that like trying to fill the day is fighting against being on the other side of boredom and the other side of boredom is like oh man dude there's so much good stuff over there but it's really hard to get to it if we had one song that we could play of yours on this what would uh besides always is there something from the new record that you would uh um, maybe somebody wouldn't necessarily, it's not the single or it's not the, not the one that people are going to see at the top of your Spotify list. What's the song you want people to hear the most from this new record? Yeah. My favorite song on this record for me, and it has been since the beginning, since we recorded it, but is the first song. It's called Highline. And it's about the first time that I went to New York and just being sort of afraid of the enormity of the world and in the vast unknown of the future and it's pretty wild like seeing how you know even like the way that new york is where a lot of people are really suffering and a lot of unknown and then you kind of look that one's the one that i think is the is the one for me at least that really feels like it lives here here's highline from someday i'll make it all up to you Took the train from Brooklyn, New York smiling like a monster in a cage. And I hide most of the time, cause the numbers won't add, it's making me afraid. And I don't wanna be scared no more. I don't wanna be scared no more. Down the west side highway Everyone's talking like they have something to say 
And I'm trying most of the time But I'm more and more just feeling like a fake So hold me, keep me coming back Listen when I tell you that I'm not worried Darkness, is it just an absence? Walk you to the high line, a new day's coming Cause I don't wanna be scared no more I don't wanna be scared no more Time holds me down like a brother Showing me all the things I couldn't bear to lose Fight back most of the time Just bargaining as if I get to choose I don't wanna be scared no more I don't wanna be scared no more Listen when I tell you that I'm not worthy Darkness, is it just an absence? Walk you to the high line, a new day is coming So hold me, keep me coming back Listen when I tell you that I'm not worthy Darkness, is it just an absence? Walk you to the high line, a new day is coming. Cause I don't wanna be scared no more. Thanks again to Tyson Matzenbacher. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram, and all of his music is available on Spotify and Apple Music. All the links to find him will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll have a new episode out on Saturday.